Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. So today's guests reached out to us recently, and they were wondering, they imagined that we'd heard of them before, knew someone who maybe had been affected by them before. Um, they are a popular Jewish band called Schlockrock. And when I got the message, I said, oh, yes, I've heard of you before. And oh, yes, I've been affected uh, by you. Um, and then in my head, I started saying, um, who was born in France and sent to yeshiva, studied in Worms, and on his return, he founded a school and wrote commentary. Everyone knows it's Rashi. Whose words are in and under the Chumash, the inside of every page of Talmud? Whose three daughters married great rabbis? Everyone knows it's Rashi. And Rashi was so concise and in his own scripted right. Um, and if you want to, oh, maybe I'm messing this up now. Okay, it was from like how many years ago my childhood. Okay, basically, we were not raised very observant. And we had no idea what the words of these songs were. Actually, most of the songs that Schlockrock was singing. But probably when my older sister, who's a year and a half older, was, I don't know, say 11 or 12, her Hebrew school took a trip to some Jewish museum in Manhattan. And my mother came along. And in the gift shop, they saw this, these like, you know, tapes, because this is when tapes were playing, called Schlock Rock, which my mother thought was hilarious, you know, you know, she was all into the Yiddish stuff. And she brought, they, she brought like four or five of them. And this became our music. This is, became the audio that we listened to for long road trips um, and short road trips. Under the chuppah, the ketubah is read. Under the chuppah, Shabbat brachos are said. So we memorized all these words and actually had no idea um, what they meant. But what was great about it is that after I became observant, suddenly I knew all this information um, that was just kind of stored in my head. Um, so anyway, today we have a couple Schlock Rock members joining us today. Uh, Lenny Solomon, the king of Schlock. Um, as well as Eitan G. Thank you so much for coming on to Jew in the City Speaks this morning. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. So the question is, do you remember playing at my bat mitzvah and my sister's bat mitzvah? Yes, I do. I specifically remember the one that was in, well, one was on a boat, wasn't it? That was mine. <laughs> okay, and then one we played in, I went to West Orange for yeah. Shabbat, Yeah. and then Saturday night was the party. That must have been the other one. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like you were getting engaged around then, something like this. Does it sound good? I did. Familiar? I got engaged a week later. So I remember these details very clear. And it's so cute because, like, my mother had this, like, very sort of, like, strong, um, I don't know, positive feeling towards observance and, you know, sort of religious stuff. And, and all the way she pronounced uh, her Hebrew was like this kind of old Yiddish accent from my grandparents. So she would she was like, oh, those schlockrock yeshiva buchers, they're so cute. Um, and like there was sort of like no context to put everything like it was. I remember at the time, you know, I knew you guys were religious, but I didn't quite know kind of where you fit into the, you know, the scheme of things and that kind of that whole landscape, kind of uh, only later in life, um, as I started to learn more, I kind of was able to place it. So um, since I never got to really get your backstory on the schlocking and how it began, can you fill our listeners in and me as well? How did this all begin? How and why did you decide to take secular music and stick Jewish lyrics to it? Okay, so basically in a nutshell, we, we um, you know, I grew up, I started playing NCSY in like 81, 82, 1981-82, and I would watch as regional directors would get up on a chair and they would sing song parodies to get kids or keep kids interested in the Shabbat. And I thought to myself, I could do this, so I started, um, 
I started writing my own. I wrote around 15, and by the time 1985 came around, we went into the studio. We recorded Schlockrock Learning is Good, which had on it a Barbanel, Born in the USA, Making Aliyah Today. Um, and we called the album Learning is Good. I released it in January of 1986. And it was really supposed to be a comedy tape. There was mm -hmm. really no plan for this to become a career. Mm -hmm. God had other plans, though. And three months later, I get this letter from a lady who writes, Dear Lenny, my um, brother who hates everything about Judaism is listening to your cassette around the clock. Keep up the good work. Hmm. And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe that's what this is for. So I made another one. And by uh, January of 88, it was a full-time living. And with 30 years later, 36 albums, with the 37th album about to come out, Wow. And uh, it's, we, we've played all 50 states, South Africa nine times, Australia eight times, England dozens of times, Canada every city except for Winnipeg. We did Mexico. Mexico. Come on, Winnipeg. What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. We just haven't gotten around to it. Okay, <laughs> listeners in Winnipeg, please bring the Schlockers out to play. And you're the places that you play are very diverse because you reached, you know, my conservative synagogue and my conservative life. So how did that begin? Like what sort of, were you always well received? Like what was kind of, because a lot of times, unfortunately, there's not such positive interactions between, you know, Jews of different denominations. You see, Allison, Schlockrock is about Jewish unity, Jewish mm -hmm. education. What Lenny has written were songs that, that are non-denominational. It's just Jewish education and Jewish unity, which is, there's no division. There's no reform conservative. It's just Jewish pride and Jewish education. So it spans all the denominations that we've created for the Jewish people. The music supersedes all that. And the greatest thing about it also is that it's informal. It's informal. So you're learning without knowing that you're learning. And that's how you knew the Rashi song. And that's how everybody grows up and they can sing Minion Man or they can sing whichever. And they don't know. People have told me, I got 100 on my Rashi test because of your song. You know? And the, the greatest thing is it did. It crossed all boundaries. We're the cheat sheet for the youth. <laughs> And, where, and would you say that you were, have been more popular in the Orthodox community or in the non-Orthodox community, or is it an even split? No, I mean, obviously, we, we, we come from an Orthodox background, um, but I'm going to say... We've played everybody. We have played Chabad more than anybody. Chabad has been lately. You know, in the beginning, it was NCSY, right. but lately, Chabad has been the number one schlock rock sponsor. Chabad's all about a good party. Right. And they also understand that they need to reach out to exactly. people that don't have a background and what better way to do it than with informal Jewish music. Mordechai and David's not going to do it. No. Right. Exactly. I, we always looked at ourselves as the conduit between the world of secular music and the world of Jewish music. And I, I, we, I just played a concert three months ago in, in the Five Towns. A girl came up to me and said, Lenny, you saved my life. We were going from not religious to Chabad, and you were that bridge from the mm. secular music world to the world of Jewish music, and you made our lives sustainable, and we were able to go and make this transition, and, and now I've got a family, and I'm religious, and you know, and it was, that's what Schlockrock was created for, it's what, because there is really no 
logical explanation for a person or a band to have 30 years of Jewish song parodies as a career. Except that there's a need. Um, and I, I know I, I, for myself personally, people I've spoken to, you know, we get that, that it, it, I think it, it, you can be Makaidish, you can elevate the secular, but probably, have you had any pushback from sort of the other extreme saying that, you know, kind of how dare you take secular music and, you know, put Jewish ideas to it? Is there that sort of a thing? Or are people open enough to get that this is an outreach sort of thing? Um, now, nowadays, we don't really get so much pushback. <laughs> In the beginning, oh, for sure. In the beginning, we were the rebels. We were the, all those bands that, are, that have come through the last 30 years that people were, you know, we were that band. We were that rebel band. And the rabbis would say, what are you doing? What is this stuff? You know, and I didn't really know either what it was, Frank. But I did know that it was good. It was good, and it was it, it, it just it was a fantastic way to teach without even knowing that we're teaching. I mean, I didn't even get it till 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 later on in the career. Nowadays, look, there was such a de delineation between. Look, we're not we're not playing Lakewood anytime soon. Right. We're not playing Borough Park anytime soon. We're not. No, but we did play Des Moines, Iowa. We did play Shreveport, Louisiana. We did play Anchorage, Alaska, Boise, Idaho, Laramie, Wyoming, and so on and so on and so on. You know, you know the list is two hundred and fifty <clears throat> cities long. Allison, we have played in all fifty states of these United States. Wow. There, some of the greatest rock bands in the world haven't done that. Presidents of the United States haven't gone to all 50 states. That's really amazing. So where does the inspiration for the songs come from? Meaning, like, are you, is it on the radio, and then suddenly you're like, oh, I could just change that to XYZ? Are you sitting down and taking your most popular or favorite songs and then actively trying to add the Jewish lyrics to it? So in the beginning, it was like that. I, you know, I remember sitting in the car, hearing La Bamba, and deciding, hey, if, if all the Jewish kids could sing My Spanish words to La Bamba, then they could sing Hanerot Halalu and Ma'oz Tzur to the same song. Right. So that hit me like five seconds. You know, then, then there were other songs. But to be honest with you, as the years went by, writing a song parody is a craft. And I sit down with the lyrics... I sit down with what I want to say, and you jigsaw puzzle it. You try to, you try to work the lyrics. You say to yourself, if this artist were religious and Jewish, how would he teach it in the same meter and rhyme that he wrote the original song? Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very sensitive when people or other groups release parodies that are just bad mm -hmm. because they, you know, they just dump words on it. Uh, Lenny, you should do Pink Floyd the Wall and call it Pink Floyd the Shul. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we get a lot of that, but but you know, really, writing a song parody at this point is a craft. So I take the 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 common denominator is the song has to be extremely extremely popular, with hopefully a chance that it's going to become a classic and last forever. You know, although we have done we have schlocked some songs. Where the original has disappeared, Amadeus, Achashverosh, um, <clears throat> and there, you know, there are others too. But Achashverosh is one of the top schlockrock songs of all time, so it transcended the original. You know, interesting. But, um, I know. So I, I have a thing where I will be 
you know, in the car listening to the radio and the original comes on and in my head I'm, you know, singing the schlocky version of it. So um, probably a lot of people. So what do you think makes one of your songs more popular than another? Do you have any sense about why some of your songs have become the greatest hits and other ones didn't, you know, sort of catch on as much? Uh, it's a great question. It has probably more to do with what we perform live. Yeah, I would say that. Also, you know, when you make an album, there are songs that you like and there are songs you know that everybody else is going to like, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for instance, and there are also some songs that are very, very difficult to recreate on stage. Mm-hmm. So like for the Broadway album, you know, there are certain things that I cannot do. You need a, you need a, an orchestra, you need a 30-piece orchestra mm-hmm. to, to recreate some of the stuff from like South Pacific or from uh, Wicked or Rent or Hairspray. So that you can't perform on stage. Mm-hmm. So what can you perform on stage? The rock and roll. So, so I think that that has had played a little bit to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's really people's choices. You never know. Right. You know, Billy Joel was going to leave off I Love You Just The Way You Are on the Stranger album. Hmm. And in the studio, I think it was Phoebe Snow heard it and she said, this is the greatest song. And they were going to leave it off as a sappy ballad. It wasn't even going to make it on and out. And it was picked the greatest song of the 70s or 80s, one of those in a survey on FM radio. So really it's the people and sometimes the artist doesn't know what's going to hit. Mm-hmm. Lenny, how many shows have we done where, you know, we have a new album where we're doing that and all the requests that come in from the audience are the old stuff or classics or, you know, okay, we give them what they want. At this point, that's what we get. You know, 30 Hello. years old, we, we play what the people want to hear. I'm oh, sorry, you just cut out for a second. Can you repeat that, please? I said at this point, 30 years old, mm-hmm. we play what the people want to hear. So, you know... We, you know, even though I have great new material and I think that each album that comes out is better than the last one, mm-hmm. you know, you can't throw lots of new material on this audience because a lot of the time our audience now are grandparents, right. parents, and children. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the schlock rock that I grew up with was a lot of oldies stuff. And I'm not as up to date on, you know, maybe your last uh, 16 albums. And we, had, we had a whole <laughs> bunch growing up. We, we had a whole bunch of, yeah. uh, of albums. But have, has, how has your style developed over time? Do you continue to use, like, sort of the popular songs of the time? Or do you go back towards the classics? Or So just that so you should know, out of the 36 albums, 16 albums are original. And 16 mm-hmm. albums are parody. For every parody album that we released, I wrote an entire original album. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like Yo, 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 Yamak is an original song. Right. Or, or um, Am Yisrael Chai, Hine Matov, and so on and so forth. So, um, no, at, th- at this point, were I to do another parody album, I would have to get a Bruno Mars song in. I would mm-hmm. have to get a Taylor Swift song in. Yeah. I would have to get... The stuff that is so big that you can't stand to listen to it when it comes on the air anymore. Right. You know, mm-hmm. shut up and dance with me. That would have to be on any new Frozen, let it go. Right. You have to. Because it, it's already, it's classic and, it, and it's humongously popular. Right. And one of the keys to Schlockra was when we used to play Maimonora, when we used to play Achashverosh, the kids would jump out of their seats because it was a... a popular song that was of the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, I feel like sort of secular music over time just kind of keeps getting, 
um, more, more unkosher? <laughs> are, you, are you finding that it's harder to, or do you not care? Meaning like, do you, would you say like, oh, I love the beat. Like I find myself sometimes like bopping to a beat of a certain song and then the lyrics are so kind of abhorrent that I don't want to be listening to it. And yet I feel the pull to, you know, enjoy the music part of it. Yeah. Do you have a certain... I, we, think it's, we think that they stop learning how to write and they have to resort, resort to curse words in the middle of a song. I think it's terrible. Yeah. And yes, it's much, much harder to schlock songs nowadays because, because of the... Of the they're not musical. Not, not only that, they, they, they resort, their lyrics are terrible. Right. Their yeah. lyrics are terrible. I agree with you. Yeah, it, it's, it's a concern. <laughs> Let's just say it's a concern. How about you guys did a collaboration with the Maccabees a little while ago, Minion Man, which I loved the original. I loved the collaboration. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Yes. So I, one of my goals was to put out an all a cappella schlock rock album, and we did. Last March, we released schlock cappella, and I called up the Maccabees, and the Maccabees said, we would love to collaborate with you, but it's got to be Minion Man. I said, you're in. And then we got together. They have their arranger. So I put my ideas down, sent it to them, and the arranger uh, did the rest. And, and then I went into New York, sang it in their studio, and they put it together. Then, and then we went to this 102-year-old shul, the Stanton Street Synagogue on the Lower East Side, and we recorded the video there. And we mixed in footage from the 1989 original Minion Man video. And it was just so amazing because it was me at 28 and then it was me at 54 and they're all 27 to 29 or 20, you know, in that age group where I started out. And they also looked at me as, as their, you know, as the godfather, I guess, or the grandfather. Oh, gee. Whatever you, could, whatever you want to say. And it was really an amazing, amazing experience. Just amazing. And what kind of feedback did you get? Oh my God! It's it, it's the the views keep going up and up and up. Right now, I think there's more than a quarter of a million views hmm. on that song. So yeah, no, we've one. got people, people cry. They watch it and they cry. I remember the I guess it's Eliyahu the story that is told before about the kid that lets the kite go further and right. further the tug, and tugging tug. at the out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, you're, the songs and the stories, um, it pulls, it tugs at the, you know, at that pintle yid and without even quite knowing. You know, it's, it's interesting, like, how a person develops because, you know, there were certainly certain forces in my life that, you know, where I had the conversations and I went to the Shabbos and, you know, things unfolded, but um, it's... I, it has to be that this music, you know, was kind of like laying the the foundation for me um, to make that journey, you know, kind of um, more uh, more doable, more possible. So uh, I want to publicly express my hakara sato for, um, you know, what what you gave to my uh, Jewish identity and experience in my childhood. Um, what else is I going to ask? How has social media changed the the schlocking experience for you guys? Well, every, everything is instantaneous. So when I was at a Brooklyn Nets game and I took a selfie with Adam Sandler, who happened to be sitting next to me, um, it, it was just unbelievable. But all the songs, you know, look, there's, there's positive and negative to the, right. to, the, to the Internet. The negative is that once a song gets on the, 
on the uh, internet, nobody's really going to buy it anymore. They'll just take it for free. Right. Which makes it a lot more challenging to make an album. Sure. Uh, to, the, to your listeners, they have no idea how much it hurts that Jewish artist when you're in such a small market and all of a sudden your sales are down 90% because people just don't buy music anymore. Hmm. You have to reinvent how to make albums. I mean, personally, hmm. my soul needs to create and I know Eitan G feels the same way. Oh, yeah. And and you can't create if you you can't spend $20,000 on an album and know that you're only going to bring in $2,000. It's, it's mm. just, so you have to get the album sponsored. So now you're going from a for-profit model to a not-for-profit model, which is yeah. a very, very difficult adjustment for me personally. It's been very, very difficult. But the last five years... I've had to get all my projects that come out are paid for in advance mm -hmm. by fans or by sponsors or, mm -hmm. you know, and that in itself, that's the negative side. Yeah. The positive side is that you're out there. Right. You're out there and immediately it gets to 100,000 people or half a million people. And that is the time of the Mashiach. It's the time when, when Mashiach comes, everybody will know about it instantaneously because of this small world now that we live in. Right. And have you ever heard of um, from any Jewish kids? I mean, it seems like you certainly inspired Jewish journeys. Have you inspired musical journeys? Has anyone told you that listening to your music inspired them to become musicians and become creators themselves? Every, just about every song parody you hear by anybody else was, you know, uh, uh, inspired by Lenny in effect. Lenny's the godfather of song parody, of Jewish song parody. Well, there, were, there were people before me, but you know, I wanted to tell but you... But not to the same extent, not as, as popular, not as, as far-reaching. And the reason was because we got on the road and we toured. Mm -hmm. The other groups never toured, and we, mm -hmm. we tour. Like Weird Al Yankovic tours, Schlockrock has toured for 30 years. But I'll also tell you that there are people that we came to their community and they chose music as a career... Jews, Jewish music as a career because we, um, you know, they were so affected. But you know, it's all God, and and Hashem made me this. Um, Hashem made me this uh, ambassador. I I didn't pick this career. People always ask me, how do you become a Jewish rocker? And I don't really know. All I know is that with no advertising, the phone rang off the hook mm -hmm. for shows. And we obviously touched a, a chord inside people that they wanted this type of format or music. It, it touched them, it reached them, it affected them. And I was the conduit. And Allison, I can tell you firsthand, of all the shows I've toured with Lenny for 20 years, I was just a little kid when he started out. And I can tell you how many people have come up to me and said, oh my God, your music has changed my life. Oh my God, your music inspired. Oh my God, my kid listens to y'all. Oh my God, my kid knows. Oh my God, I have grandchildren because I chose to, I, I learned about Shabbos, I learned about kosher. It, all this it, from song parodies. It's an unbelievable thing at, at the lives that, that you know, the music is, has changed. Who would have known? You never would have known. No. Amazing, and uh, we're just about out of time here, um, but could you tell us a little bit about like, what this 30th, 30th anniversary uh, includes? There's a tour, there's a new al album. Give us a little bit of an update on that. 
So right now we're in the middle of a 12-city tour that started in Malden, Massachusetts, which is a little bit outside of Boston. That was on Saturday night. Sunday we were in Fairlawn, New Jersey. T yesterday we were in Baltimore. Actually, and today we're heading to Pittsburgh. We have a show at 6.30 tonight in Pittsburgh. Um, we're going to be going to Buffalo, Toronto, um, Albany, uh, Florida, South Bend, Indiana, and Chicago. And um, and then finishing off with a private school in New Jersey. I you know the during the year we will theoretically be doing more tours. I know that the West Coast has already approached me for for some dates. Um, and if you go on the website schlockrock.com, there's lots of things that you can do. I mean, I I um, we have an offer where you could get all 36 albums. As a digital download for only $108, $3 a download. And this is just to embrace. We want people to we want people to raise their children on Schlagrock. Oh, yeah. And that's really the point of this tour. And, um, and, and to spread and make people happy. Because the Gemara says if you make people happy, you're a Ben Olam Haba. So we, you, are, you are a child of the next world. And we would like to... You know, keep influencing people to learn more about their heritage and 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 learn more about who they are as Jews. All right. Well, Hashem should continue to uh, give you a lot of hatzlacha and bracha and your continued success. And we're going to close things out today with uh, that song that I was talking about at the beginning. Everybody knows it's Rashi. Thank you so much for your time and um, best of luck on your tour. Thank you and thanks Thank for having you, us. Pleasure. She was so kind.